right, we there? Mon. Right, so um, a few years ago, I did take a trip to a place that was dark and cold. And I talked about this in a sermon series about three and a half years ago. And I want to talk a little bit more later on in this service about what that trip has taught me about the kingdom and about the church and how Sycamore View has helped me process a lot about darkness and light. I had planned to do a two-week series because my trip to where I went turned into a sermon series, which has turned into a book that does come out. And I wanted to talk to you a couple of weeks about this because though my name may be on the cover of a book that's going to be released in so many ways, it was this church that helped birth this story because the story of Sycamore View and the story of churches all over the world is that we're on this journey from darkness to light, calling people out of darkness and to Jesus who is the light. And then for those of us who have already made decisions to follow Jesus, that we continue to find ourselves in these seasons of darkness, and how is God still revealing himself as a light who's pulling us out of whatever shadow or form of darkness we're in so we can thrive in his light. I didn't know when I had planned months ago to spend two weeks talking about this, that this would be the week that we would witness an eclipse like on Monday where we were filled, many of you, some of you, there was a lot of clouds in the sky so you couldn't see anything, uh, but that we would be filled with awe and wonder And then over the last couple of weeks, especially those of us, a couple of days, those of us who have lived in Houston or have connections to people who live down in that part of Texas to, for them to be experiencing what they're experiencing right now, been in touch with a lot of my friends and Casey and I were uh, ministering at a church before we moved here and trying to stay in touch with some of those people. uh, This could be one of the worst floods in hundreds of years that has hit And I want you to stay in touch with us through social media, and we may hit you up with a weekly email if we find some some ways that we, as a church, can get involved and can help others. Open your Bibles to John chapter 1 this morning. Um, Because though I traveled a few years ago to the northernmost point in Alaska where they go about 65 to 70 days every winter without seeing the sun. So these are people who survive really harsh elements uh, and darkness. I have experienced a lot of other forms of darkness throughout my life. Some of that is due to sin, some very intentional sin. Some of that has been due to grief, the death of my sister back in 2010. Preaching in a size of a church like this, I'm sure there are some of you today who feel like you have never been thriving in the light more than you are thriving in the light right now. And then there's also a room full of people who you would describe your life as you were in a dark place, maybe hanging on by a thread. There's a lot of dysfunction going on in your mind or in relationships, and I hope I can offer up a word of help and a word word of hope to you today. When John wrote the Gospel of John, he had a lot of the creation story in mind. Uh, And specifically, uh, like John 1.1 begins with, in the beginning, just like Genesis 1.1 begins, in the beginning. So John wants you to know that he's in touch with this creation story where God spoke out of nothing as years ago. So in Genesis 1 verse 1 and 2, it's a God created the world and there was this void or in some of your versions, there was uh, chaos that God spoke and he brought life out of what wasn't life. And now John's writing his gospel to let you know that what God did in Genesis 1 is what God is still doing, that wherever there are voids and emptiness and brokenness and chaos, God still has the power and the creativity to bring life out of what doesn't exist and what isn't life. So wherever there's chaos in your life, we still have a God who can speak and do something with that. 
Uh, and the first thing God does in the creation story in Genesis 1 is God speaks light out of darkness. So there was darkness and God speaks light and it became light. Like God turns the lights on to start creating the world in Genesis 1 and 2. And in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, there, there are these two verses. And verse 5 has become an anthem of, anthem of mine. And I hope for some of you it will become like your weekly anthem, at least for this week. And in John 1, what John writes is that in him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In my version, it's that the light um, shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. So when the light fights the darkness, or the darkness tries to fight the light, it really isn't that good of a fight. The light wins every time. So where there's darkness in your light, how can we speak light and victory over you today? So um, what I want to do today is kind of take us on a journey because uh, I want to talk about re-entry and I want to talk about re-engagement and some of the things I've discovered about this and why I think it's at the heart of the gospel, how this plays out throughout scripture. But you can't have re-engagement, you can't have re-entry until there's been entry or engagement. So we can't talk about how we re-engage the heart of God as we go through dark seasons or as we're coming out of dark seasons if we haven't engaged the heart of God and entered into a relationship with God in the first place. Now, the beauty of God is that he continues to offer up invitations to us and those God just keeps inviting. And he's inviting people who don't know him to come to know him. He's inviting people who do know him and have made decisions to enter into this covenant with him. He continues to invite us to deeper places in his heart and in his mission to reveal to us and give us vision of what it is God wants for us in the world. But it begins with being invited into God for the first place. When my heart uh, was really changed by God, the age of 17, I was entering my junior year of high school. God opened my eyes, gave me a greater vision for life and why God had me here. And I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life at that point. I just knew I wanted my friends to know Jesus. I wanted my friends to be in heaven. God had created this stirring in my heart that I, I knew I wanted people to be with God. Now, I didn't really know how to go about this. I didn't know how to invite people. I, I was working out the best understanding I had of the gospel. So I remember... Uh, later on in high school, what I would do is I would sit down with friends and I would open the Bible and I would go straight to conversion stories. So for my friends who didn't know Jesus and they hadn't really been connected to a church, I was going straight to like Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius or Acts 2 where there's this mass conversion story of 3,000 people giving their lives to the Lord and, and I would try to read them and teach them conversion stories and stories of people trusting Jesus and being baptized into Christ, hoping that that would lead them to make a conversion moment, to enter into a conversion moment themselves. And then the Lord began to teach me I think expanding maybe my knowledge, my wisdom, expanding my theology to see that the call of the church is not to invite people into conversion moments. And don't, don't just take a quote that I'm about to say over the next few moments, all right? Because I, I don't want you tweeting some of these out and then I get hate mail, all right? Because my wife doesn't do well when I get some of that mail, okay? Now, the deal is, I, is, <laughs> I felt the Lord teaching me that your call is not to go and invite people into conversion moments or invite people into baptism. You are not called to convert people into baptism or convert people into conversion. We're called to invite people into Jesus and to convert people into Jesus. So I was so quick to sit down with my friends to try to create a conversion moment for them 
believing that when some of those things happened, God could work through some of my unfaithfulness and ignorance to still create something that mattered. But he started teaching me that we need to introduce people to Jesus. And when people are introduced to Jesus and they begin to see the wonder and the beauty and the power and the sacrifice that comes in Jesus, then they begin to ask, what do I need to do to enter into this relationship with Jesus? So the place to begin isn't conversion. The place to begin when we're making invites isn't into baptism. It's into Jesus. And as people encounter Jesus, they want to enter into this life with him. Now, what the Lord began to teach me then too is that in last week, we, last weekend we had a, a few baptisms in the church. And one of them, uh, a brother Charlie was baptized into Christ. And I, I mentioned it from the water as I was baptizing him in waders that leaked from here down, all right? I stepped in the water and I could feel it. I was like, I'm already soaked, but I'm already committed, man. I'm in this moment. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and I, I remember teaching him, and I even shared with you last week, the same God who invites us into baptism or invites us into these conversion moments is the same God who invites us out of them to enter into a movement, that there's a life to live. There is this adventure. So it's not just how do we invite people to make decisions where they, they're escaping the fires of hell, but how are we inviting people to enter into this adventurous life with Jesus that is full of hope and joy no matter what storm comes in your life? Um, now, when I first started inviting people in the age of 17 and 18, I wasn't really sure what I was inviting them into. I just knew I wanted to invite them into something. I, I remember uh, one of the first times I... Uh, I, I mean, I had all these teammates, and they didn't really know the Lord. I mean, they were some of the best pagans of pagans, all right? And I, I reached out to them one day. I was like, man, you, you guys want to go to church? Sometimes it's the easiest invitation, right? Just invite someone to church. Now, I think it needs to be the second invite you make because your first invite doesn't need to be inviting people in the church. It needs to be inviting someone into a relationship with yourself so that they can see Jesus living in you. But there needs an invite to church. It's an easy invite to make. And I invited some of my friends. These are junior seniors in high school. Hey, do you guys want to go to church? And they were like, not really. And one of them said, maybe, but what time does your church start? And I said, Bible class is at 9, church is at 10, because that's what the Bible says, all right? <clears throat> and he said, man, I think that's a little too early for me. And my response, and, and I, God has worked through ignorance in my life before, all right? My response was... Uh, man, I know it's early, but just so you know, like we have four girls in our youth group who were hot, all right? And <laughs> no joke, we ended up having five guys come with me to church that next Sunday. It's, it's like, <clears throat> and I remember looking up to God, I was like, I don't know if it counts or not, but you can work through this, right? Uh, <clears throat> every invite can be there, but here's what I know in my life. There have been times, there may be people today who aren't going to heaven, and there may be people, there are people in this world today who are not in a relationship with Jesus because I was too bashful or hesitant or shy to make an invitation. And I failed to do it. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt God developing a relationship or you know that you're called by God to make disciples of all nations or to talk to your neighbors and your coworkers, whoever it may be, but sometimes we are shy and hesitant to make an invitation because we don't know how people are going to respond. Now, here's what Jesus models for us. There were two times Jesus said, this is what I came for. And when Jesus talks about this, one of them's in, uh, you can find it in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and it's Matthew tells the same story in chapter 18, where he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
In Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners through repentance. Jesus lets you know, I didn't come just to protect the establishment. I came to enter into life. So it's not Jesus calling all of these people who were sick or lost or confused or in pain. You don't have Jesus giving them a lot of invitations to come to synagogue or to temple, though I think Jesus was for those things. It's Jesus meeting people where they are, encountering where they are, trying to teach them the ways of God wherever they are. The church is at its best when we give up home field advantage, when we follow Jesus, while all the places Jesus is leading his people to go. But what are we inviting people into? We're inviting people into Jesus, which leads to conversion moments and these lives of discipleship. And we're also inviting people deeper into the heart of God. Because if we're going to be a church in which our vision is to be about the restoration of people and the restoration of all things, you've got to get serious about brokenness and pain in the world and in people's lives. And there's no healing when we hide this kind of stuff. No healing in the hiding. When stuff comes to life and we talk about these forms of darkness, trusting that God can speak light into it. Um, I've had people approach me uh, before and these have led to really good conversations because they were genuine um, comments made by people. Because I think there are a lot of different ways sermons and messages need to end. There's not just one like invitation we stick on the end of every sermon because the story of Scripture is so creative and it's calling people in so many different ways to enter the heart of God and to come deeper into God that there's not just one way sermons need to end, but occasionally I've had people approach me and they've said, Josh, I think we need to end more sermons with a, big, a bigger push for people to trust Jesus and for the lost to give their lives to Jesus and, and about baptism. And I, and I agree, I hope I grow in a lot of ways as a preacher for the rest of my life. But I've often responded to these people by saying... When is the last time in your life you've talked to someone about Jesus or baptism? And sometimes I've asked, when's the last time you even brought someone to church who needed to hear a preacher give an invitation about trusting Jesus or baptism? Because I'm fine taking on a heavy responsibility of being a leader and a voice for the kingdom of God and for the gospel and and preachers and elders and ministers and there are other leaders and volunteer leaders who carry some of this responsibility, but it's not just on them to carry. All of us carry the responsibility of being called by God into the world to be light in any way we can, to speak light in the darkness. So um, the invitation for some of you in this room today, because many of you have already given your lives to Jesus but you find yourselves in seasons of darkness and in shadows because there are some of you in here who have, you have been dealt some cards in life that you never wanted to be dealt. You never asked for them, but there's been death. Some of you have been deeply impacted and affected by moral failure, maybe forms of depression, job loss, and the list goes on. Life happens. And this one phrase has come back to me time and time again over the last couple of years for so many of us who make these journeys and so many of you going through journeys of darkness in your life right now is that sometimes we are hit with these circumstances or tragedies in life and how we walk into the future with God is not going to be like how we've walked in the past with God and it's not necessarily because God has changed but because circumstances and relationships have changed. That a lot of life changes and we're having to adapt in the 
to learn from God? How do we navigate these seasons when how we walk in the future is going to be different because the husband or the wife or the child or the parent, they're not here anymore. There's been a divorce and it's not going to go back to how it used to be. Too much has changed. Um, these are the stories that need to be told. They're the stories Celebrate Recovery tells every Tuesday night in this church. They're the stories that need to be told both from this stage and in life. I launched a podcast the other day, and it's a podcast that's basically just to, to offer up space to engage people in conversations of how they have navigated seasons of darkness in their lives. Look, I'm talking about it. I would love for you to tune into it. I don't make, this isn't, I, I don't get anything from this. I, this isn't a profit for me, all right? I, I don't get paid because of the podcast. I'm trying to just generate conversations with people. So tomorrow I, I'm, I'm launching a podcast I've already shot with a friend who uh, was fired from a church um, a, a few years ago and how he navigated this dark season in his life. And on Friday, I, I've already done a show, recorded a show with Ellie Holcomb, a Dove Award winner, a great artist. And, and because so many of her lyrics, if you listen to Ellie Holcomb, talks about darkness and light. So I'm able to talk to her about like, where does this come from? Because I know she's not just sitting in a room writing about it. There are these life experiences that she's processing and sharing with me how, where she was when she wrote certain songs. Because I think one day whenever we see David, you know, the David who killed Goliath, if we ever bring up a psalm that's really meant a lot to us, like be still and know that I am God, or Psalm 23, David won't just tell you what the psalm says. He could tell you where he was when he wrote it. The cave he was in, how he was on the run, what he was experiencing. He could probably tell you day, the month, the year, the experience, where it was birthed from. All right, so... A few years ago, I had a chance. I traveled up to Barrow, Alaska. If you ever, like, accidentally get to Barrow, you are way lost, all right? Cruises don't go to the northernmost point of Alaska. Boats can't even get there seven months a year because the ocean's frozen over. And it all began with a sermon I was preaching here probably four years ago on Jesus being the light of the world. I was sitting in my office one day, and I was thinking to myself, I've heard that there are places above the Arctic Circle who don't see the sun much in the wintertime, and I'm curious, are there higher depression rates? I've heard before that their suicide attempts can go up in some of these places because of the effects of darkness. So I started doing research on this, and I came across places like the American Journal of Psychiatry that they have sent people up to a lot of these smaller villages where they've met with people, they've asked the questions, they've done research. And it's wild because a lot of these towns, and there aren't many of them, I mean, Alaska, Canada, Russia, a couple of other places, you have these small towns who will go about 65 to 70 days every winter without seeing the sun. Some of you go crazy in February when you go four days without seeing the sun, right? Imagine 65 to 70. And weather rarely gets above zero. When I went to Barrow, the coldest day was negative 65 wind chill. When I was on my plane that connected, I left Anchorage, connected in one place before getting to Barrow, and I checked my phone, and it said negative 38. I shot a text message to Casey, and I said, I love you. I love the boys. I'm going to die. Uh, have a great life. <laughs> so, um, and I spent 11 days there, and I went in January. So I went at the very end of this period of like 65 to 70 days of darkness, because I wanted to be there when people were trying to make this transition. Because what the research has shown is that there is actually a peak season in some of these towns for depression rates and suicide attempts. But here's what blew my mind. Here's what, like, uh, here's what 
made my imagination expand and led to this trip is that the peak season for depression and suicide attempts actually isn't in the season of darkness. It's when the sun comes back. And the research showed this one phrase is what took hold of my imagination is there is a problem with re-entry into the light. Because when I read that phrase, I thought I preach in front of people every week who would say amen to that. So I traveled up there and I just, for 11 days, anybody who would meet with me, I would meet with them. I only had about 13 to 15 minutes where I could walk places because every room you went into, every building had a chart, even the one grocery store in this town. And on the chart had uh, the, the wind chill factor and how many minutes you had before your skin would freeze. All right, so I had like 15 minutes where I could try to get, to get to a place. I met with principals and teachers and librarians and people who ran recovery groups and pastors, anyone who would meet with me, I I met with them and I would ask them questions about what are the principles that drive you? Because I figured that if there's a town that could survive harsh elements and over 65 days of darkness, maybe there were principles and values that keep them alive and thriving that can teach us no matter where we live. So next week, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the things I heard over and over again from them was about deep roots and having a healthy rhythm in life. And I want to talk about that more last week. But I had this one encounter with the therapist at the local high school. And by the way, all the people in Barrow, there are over 5,000 people who live there. I did not sense from them like this overwhelming sense of depression in their lives or that I was meeting a lot of people who were about to go try to kill themselves. These were delightful people, extremely hospitable and gracious but I sat down with this one therapist and I began telling him like why I was there and he was listening to my story and this is a guy who's counseled not just in Barrow but all over the northern slope and he said man what you're saying right now is making a lot of sense and then he told me this he said the reason that I feel some depression in my own life when the sun returns is because after going through two to almost three months of harsh elements with no, um, without seeing the sun, you expect that when the light returns, the light will bring immediate change. And he said, the issue and the problem is you see the sun, but the elements remain. He said, the sun comes back and you expect there to be change, but it actually gets colder and the ice keeps coming. How many of you, when you had your conversion, when you trusted the Lord with your life, you were baptized in the Christ, you thought some of the forces of darkness would no longer come after you, and then you found out quickly the powers of darkness keep coming. Or there's been a breakthrough in your life, or you've taken time in your life to fast and pray to help get you through an issue, or for a big breakthrough in your life, and there was a light that came, but some of the other elements or relationships that are in present in your life, causing so much turmoil, just don't go away. So the light is coming, and maybe this morning the light's coming in some of your lives, and like it's pulling you into the joy and hope of God, yet there are all these elements that we got to live with tomorrow in a workplace, in the stress of life, and how do we navigate this in a way that's faithful with God? Look in your Bibles in John chapter 21. So John 1 begins with in the beginning and with Jesus being the light. And John 21 has probably been a chapter in the last four years of my life, one of a few, that has probably had the greatest impact on me. Because in John 21, you have Peter who's out on a boat again with his friends. So Jesus said, he died, he rose from the dead, 
And now Peter's out there fishing. Now you're left to kind of wonder, like, why is he back in a boat? Is he back in a boat because he's gone back to his former way of life? Is he back in a boat because this is therapy and that's just what he would do sometimes? We aren't really sure. We do know that Peter denied and betrayed Jesus in a time when Jesus needed him the most. And I can't imagine all the feelings in Peter that he has now experienced Jesus coming out of the grave. He knows he is alive. But does Peter still have the boldness that maybe he once had? Does Peter feel like he can still be used by God because some of the things he had done or things he did not do for Jesus when he needed to be present with Jesus? How's Peter going to move forward from a moral failure? And Jesus yells at him from the shore as Jesus is putting together some fish. It's fried fish and hush puppies. I know the Greek. You can trust me, all right? Jesus is up there cooking. He looks out 100 yards away, and Peter swims to Jesus, and they have this encounter. And I'm not going to read all of John 21 today, but this is where Jesus asks Peter three different times, do you love me? And Peter responds, and then here's what it leads to in verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by, the, uh, by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to him, follow me. If you underline in your Bibles, underline that phrase. Because that's a phrase Jesus used to call people into relationship with him. But if you look throughout your Bible, look throughout the Gospels, follow me is not just the phrase Jesus uses to invite people into relationship. It's the phrase that keeps on coming. It's the phrase that just keeps coming from the mouth of Jesus to people. In verse 20, Peter turned and he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And this was the one who would lean back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? As for you right now in your life, you follow me. Some of you made decisions maybe years ago to commit your life to Jesus. And since then, maybe there have been circumstances in your life, tragedies, tragedies that have hit. Maybe you've become apathetic in your faith. Yet Jesus is the one who keeps speaking even to his followers. Hey, for you, put your eyes back on me. Follow me. It's the invitation that keeps coming. So even when you've engaged the heart of God and have gone through dark seasons, it's the light of God that continues to tell you to, hey, re-engage and re-enter and get back in the game because God is not through with you yet. God can use us in our ignorance. He can use us in our stupidity. Wherever we have been through, wherever we've been, whatever we've been through, God can continue. He does continue to call us into the game. There's this one uh, girl I met in Barrow. And when I met her, she was in junior high, but when she was in fourth grade, she had gone into a deep depression. She was shy. There had also been some relational dysfunction in her family. And she went through this period as a fourth grader where she just did not want to talk at all to anybody. Extremely depressed. And it just happened to be in a season in the wintertime when it was dark outside. And one day, she went into another room in her house, and she picked up a pencil And she began to draw. And there was something about drawing and art that like lit this fire in this girl. So the next day, she went back to the room and picked up a pencil and continued to draw. And for her art and creativity became this place where the Lord encountered her. Where she began to come to life. And she went on to write this short story. And it won awards throughout 
Alaska, and it's just it's four just four images. And she wrote this, she drew this in the fourth grade, and it was the first sunrise of the year. So she was drawing this based on the season of darkness they had been in, uh, been through. And here's what it said: The sun was going to come up today. And we hadn't seen the sun since November. My class was in math when it started to rise. And the office started to play the song, Here Comes the Sun on the Intercom. And my math teacher took us to the class next door so we could watch it come up. Everyone started to get really excited because they were seeing the sun and their friends were there. And my friend Daphne lifted me up so I could see uh, past all the tall kids. The sun was a brilliant shade of orange with a light blue sky behind it. I was so happy to see the sun, and I was sure that people would only be able to see the sun this amazing in Barrow. Isn't that cool? And here's what I tried to process with her a little bit, and we couldn't come to a conclusion on it. But I sat with her one day, and I asked, do you think the Lord gave you this gift of art to lift you out of a dark season, or do you you think it was a gift that has been in you since birth? But it took the darkness and some reflection in the darkness for you to see the gift that's already been there. Wasn't really sure, and I guess it's hard for us to know. But for those of you who feel like you're in a dark season or you're pressing through a dark season, there could be a gift of God placed inside of you that can only come to life when you take the time to reflect and to heal and to open up whatever form of darkness, whatever shadows may be on us, to place them before the Lord, as surrendering them before God, asking God to speak light into anything in us that reflects of darkness. So here are a couple of invitations today. If you're here in this room, and you have never trusted Jesus with your life, you have never looked Jesus in the face, and have looked as He is looking you in the face, and you've never felt and experienced His invitation, Jesus is calling you into a relationship. You cannot save yourself. Jesus didn't go to the cross to die so that you could glance upon the cross thinking that if you do a lot of good things in your life, that you could be saved or you could save yourself. Jesus died so that you will surrender your life to him so that he can come into you and bring you to life in every kind of way. And for those of you in here, you may be going through a season of darkness in your own life because of loneliness, depression, relational dysfunction, moral failure, whatever it may be. God is inviting you to come from that place into his glorious light. And remember, there's no healing in the hiding. There's some stubborn people in the world who have had things going on with their bodies, but they refuse to go to a doctor, nurse, physician to ask about it. And by the time they did, it, could, it may have been something that could have been healed long ago. And we do the same things with God. There's something that isn't right. Yet we keep hiding it as if we're really hiding it from God. And maybe church, church is supposed to be a place where we can come and lay all things bare. That we are surrendering it to God so that the church can live for his glory. Can we stand together? I want to ask the elders, if you will, go to the places where you were stationed. We have prayer leaders in the room and they'll be stationed throughout the room for you. And we invite you, if there's something you want to bring before the church, you can come up front, Phil Hart, Joe Ward are up here to receive you. And there are other places throughout this room. If there's anything we can pray for you, we want to be faithful in this. Can we bow our heads before we sing? If you will, just open your hands where you are before the Lord. God, 
wherever darkness exists in our hearts, our minds, our lives, our relationships, will you come with your great power to speak your light into it? Where healing needs to take place, invite people into your healing. God, will you, will you come in your great power to speak resurrection power over us? God, if I've spoken anywhere today that didn't reflect of your glory, your heart, your mission, your nature, will it fall to the ground and bear no fruit and not be remembered at all? But if, if I've spoken any word this morning that has been true, may it sink deep into a heart and penetrate and establish some roots and bear great fruit for your glory and for your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray.